I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. I'm Mark Daly. I'm your host, but for the first time in a long time, I'm not flying solo. Joining me now, and I've hinted at this for the past couple of weeks on the show, is my new partner and co-host. And, you know, the thing is, I just, I, I didn't want to go and do this like improperly so not only did i go out and find a new partner a new co-host to to do the show going forward but i went out and i got a hamilton (laughs) (laughs) you know so and somewhere and somewhere lewis is sitting here knowing that there's a hamilton on his favorite podcast he's sitting here going come on bro you can do this and without further ado i'd like to introduce you all to my new uh, co-host mark hamilton mark welcome it's been a while but glad that you're finally here yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. I, I can't say how excited I am to be here. Um, as part of our contract negotiations, um, obviously I negotiated to have Mark as the principal banner on the teaser posters. Um, and, and you agreed very, very quickly until I realized why, because it kind of works both ways. It works but both ways. <laughs> incredibly excited to be here. Uh, for those of you that don't know, and, and I think if you're a listener to this show, you probably are a little bit familiar with me because Mark and I have done some collaborations in the past. We did a, a great hookup back in I think January with with Gil from the former Flash F1 podcast and with uh, Tim Haraney and then you and I linked up again in September and we yes. sort of did our mid-season report card so we've done a little bit of work uh, previously I, I worked very closely with Gil and and for a short amount of time the extremely talented Steph on the Flash F1 podcast for a lot of really reasons really related to people's availability and how busy people had become in life um, that was something that we kind of kind of retired and wound down back in September. We'd had a really great run of almost two years. But ultimately, you know, it's one of those things where podcasts, when they become big, they become really cumbersome and time-consuming. And it just wasn't something that we could do at the same level that we wanted to do it collaboratively. So you know what? Took a couple of months off, had an immense number of things going on in my personal life. And then, of course, you and I have kind of been talking a little bit in the background for a couple of min- months about, hey, you know, as neighbors, could could we link up and do something <laughs> exciting going forward? And again, I think everyone probably does know, but we're we're neighbors in a suburb of Vancouver. We're just, I'd like to say a couple blocks apart, but probably five kilometers apart. It's, but it's pretty thank close, you for, yeah. Thank you for having me. And I'm going to put this out there right now because it always comes up. Yes, I did name my son Lewis Hamilton. So his first name, his legal name is actually Lewis. We go by his middle name, Parsa, but his actual legal name is Lewis Parsa Hamilton. So definitely uh, <laughs> definitely flexing on the great British seven times world champion, Lewis Hamilton. No expectations there on the little fellow, is there? <laughs> oh, there are expectations. I will absolutely, and my wife will absolutely be those parents who live through their child. I will make no, I will make no bones about that. So the poor thing's got quite a, quite a billing to live up to. Well, it, well, he, we can be his first official sponsor when he gets into karting. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, this is great. And, you know, it has been, and I mean, as you know, I mean, uh, I, I know that you've been busy with other things uh, the last little while, and we've spent so much time just uh, talking recently about the bizarreness of the 2020 Formula One World Championship. I mean, 2020 in general has just been weird. I mean, you, you just talked about it just now. We, we did the collaboration a couple of months ago, and then we did the collaboration with Gil and Tim way back in the before times in January, which seems... It seems such a, a not even this calendar yeah, year, man. It doesn't, it doesn't even feel like it was this calendar year. Yeah, it's it's been such. Uh, it has been the weirdest of uh, of years. But you know, Formula One. I mean, it is. I've been thinking too. Sometimes I look at the calendar, think, oh, we only had seventeen races this year, and we had like I was talking about it just uh, in the last week or so that you know we had some of these 
you know, you had like the Styrian Grand Prix and the Austrian Grand Prix and the 70th anniversary Grand Prix and the British Grand Prix, these back-to-back weekends. I thought, well, in this situation, I don't really have the right to complain <laughs> because the fact that they were able to to get this season put together and not only uh, get it going, but manage to get in a bunch of uh, additional races at facilities, at, at tracks that we haven't been to in years or in some cases never, as in uh, Mugello and uh, Portimao, which uh, both turned out to be uh, fantastic races. But uh, it, it's hard to believe after all of that, all of these ups and downs and the questions, well, will the, the F1 bubble work, which it basically has uh, done fairly successfully, despite the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the sprinklings of COVID infections in the paddock here and there. We're down to the last couple of races. And, uh, you know, typically at this point of year, we'd be coming up to the last uh, race of the year as it is. But now we're going to be going just a couple of uh, weeks extra into into December. And even though the championship has been decided both championships uh, of course and the constructors and the, and the and the drivers you know there's still a lot of questions uh, to to be answered you know uh uh, obviously, one of the big one is off the track, and that's Lewis and the fact that, uh, that that he still doesn't have a contract for next year, which I would be shocked, and I'm sure everybody would be shocked if that doesn't get uh, done at some point. But uh, also, th- there's these fascinating things that are happening, not at the top of the constructors, but just a little bit further down between uh, racing points, between McLaren and Renault, even though they're kind of dropping back. They, they've lost a little bit of touch now. So, I mean, there's been plenty of great storylines going on as well and i mean of course lewis is going to get uh, all the focus for the you know the winning the championship again seven uh, seven now which ties him with uh, the one and only uh, michael schumacher i mean the thing is i mean he's been a multiple world champion for for a long time now i mean uh, once you get up to a, to a couple you know you're, you're you're an elite company if you're world champion period but once you're a multiple world champion i mean that that just gets more and more exclusive and the fact that i really think that he's gotten to the point now that uh, despite you know being in his mid 30s and the fact that he's accomplished everything you can just get the, the 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 feeling that he's not done yet because you, there's been these quotes that have come out, especially after Imola, that there was no guarantee he was going to be uh, in Formula One. I think maybe that was maybe a little bit of a, I don't know, the pressure, maybe just a bit of the gravity of the situation because it was a completely different tone that Lewis had after uh, Turkey, after sewing up the championship, and then how he was saying that, you know, he's still got a lot of energy, there's a lot of things he wants to do in Formula One, and he feels like he's only really getting started. I'm like, well, you know, if you're a rival of uh, Lewis Hamilton, which is basically 19 other guys, <laughs> nine other teams, that has to be pretty ominous, because at, at 35, I mean, he's showing no signs of slowing down. I mean, he, there, there's nobody quicker over the course of, of a lap, uh, a hot lap. I mean, he can still throw them in down like nobody's business, and it's absolutely uh, incredible. But just what, what what are your thoughts on where Lewis is sitting right now? Just in this this bit of, uh, I don't want to say, uh, I guess he is kind of in an in-between area, but what are your thoughts on where that's going to go with his uh, contract situation? I think one of the first things I, I want to comment on it, and you you spoke right off the top to what a remarkable year 2020 has been from an F1 perspective. You know, we went from a situation where, and, and again, this was earlier this calendar year, where we were all ready to go to race in Melbourne, right? Like you mm-hmm. flash back to, to March, that's, that's where the season was starting. And it was quickly scuttled and shortly after the world began to fall apart <laughs> in ways that I don't think any of us could ever have predicted. And, and again, I, I just want to give all the credit in the world to Liberty and, and, and their partners, the teams, the, the manufacturers, the constructors, the drivers for coming together and on relatively short notice, putting together a calendar. And I think one of the risks of doing so was this could have been a season with a big asterisk next to it in the sense that, look, you know what, half the field was out because of COVID. You had teams that were missing races because they couldn't get their factories together. Like there, there was a lot of things that could have gone sideways and really derailed this season um, as far as value compared to any other season in Formula One history. And I think not only does this season not warrant an asterisk, I, I think Lewis deserves extra credit for having won under these 
unbelievable and remarkable circumstances, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like this was a conventional season racing at conventional circuits on a conventional calendar. This was a compressed calendar um, in a global pandemic racing at tracks that he and all the other drivers weren't familiar with. And despite all of these different hurdles, uh, ultimately, he still comes up on top and he wins the driver's title and Mercedes wins the constructor's title and all the power to them. So I, I just want to clarify that I think this is a unique season, but not for the reasons that I think a lot of critics and skeptics may have expected it to be. This was a unique season because it was an incredibly big hill to climb. And I have nothing but praise to Mercedes and really all of the teams for being able to come out and compete every single season. And to your point, you know, we had a sprinkle. We had obviously Sergio Perez had a couple of tough weeks because of yep. the COVID infection. Um, Lance Stroll got sick, unfortunately, and we've had some engineers and some factory workers, et cetera. But all in all, I think the bubble for what it was worth has done a fantastic job. So all the power to them. In in terms of the Lewis piece, right? Like Lewis had made some comments earlier in the season because the press, and this is one of those issues that every time Lewis is up for a contract, the press goes crazy. And it's the British tabloids that drive it. It's the sporting news that drives it. It's the motorsports press that drives it. But one of the things that he'd said earlier this year that really resonated with me was it wasn't appropriate during a global pandemic when millions of people are out of work and millions of people are worried about their next meal to be having open and public negotiations with Mercedes about a contract that could be north of 20 million pounds, right? Like, yeah. I, I, I respected that. And, and I think in a lot of ways that kind of put to bed the situation. I think as long as Mercedes is committed to the sport, and I think for now at least they are, I don't think, I don't think they could... Be serious about competing without Lewis Hamilton. I think from a marketability perspective, I think all of their corporate tie-ups are closely associated with Lewis being a part of that team. I just, I I think Lewis has all the leverage, but at the same time, I'm not sure what the alternative would be. So if he went to Mercedes and they presented an offer that ultimately he's not happy with, I don't know where he's going to get another offer. It's not going to be with Ferrari, and I don't know what other team would have the money to necessarily kind of put in on the table for him but I'm confident that this situation will be resolved if there's an issue at all I, I think it's just a matter of how long that term would be but that said you know you made that great point about the fact that Lewis is now tied with the great Michael Schumacher with seven drivers titles and I think that probably more than anything in the world motivates Lewis now if he wins next year I don't know how motivated he would be subsequent to that because this is a driver who is very, very dynamic and has a world of interest. This is a guy who's passionate about music, we know, about film, about fashion. There's mm -hmm. nothing suggesting that he doesn't tap out at that point as the greatest of all time and pursue some of his other interests, especially since next year, 2021, is going to be something of a hangover because it's going to kind of be that hybrid year where we carry over a lot of the rules and a lot of the regulation. It's kind of the last shot to win with the current chassis, the current car going into 2022 is going to be very different so i think for hamilton i think he's going to be fully motivated to come back in 2022 and compete because i think that's the last really guaranteed shot that he has at a title and there's nothing suggesting he doesn't come back in 2022 and mercedes is a great package and they've adapted quickly but i think we're going to see significantly more parity in 2022 ford and we're also going to see those massively heavier schedules which he may also not be interested in as a 35 year old driver do i want to be racing in 25 races a year i i, I don't know but i think he'll yeah. be back next year i don't think there'll be any question i think the question is if he wins next year how motivated will be he be to compete beyond that yeah i I'm, i've been tossing this one around in my mind the last little while as well over the past uh, several weeks as this uh, discussion has kind of uh, picked up a little bit of speed and and where i'm at with it right now is I'm fully expecting something like Lewis is going to re-sign a new contract with Mercedes sometime after the end of the year, and it's going to be something like one year in an option or two years in an option exactly. for, for, for exactly. 2021, maybe 2022 to get to, you know to try out the new uh, the, the the new spec cars and everything like that, and then you know maybe going into 2023. That's where I have like a little bit of difficulty in seeing uh, you know Lewis uh, sticking around. But just uh, uh, talking about uh, that, uh, Carla Sainz. Uh, said this week that he believes that there are very few of the current uh, drivers in Formula One would be able to beat Lewis Hamilton in the, the, the same machinery. And I mean, I, I've talked about it quite a bit uh, recently that, and, and, and we have two offline, of course, uh, that, uh, that, uh, that, that that's why Valtteri Bottas is the ideal teammate uh, for him. From Mercedes' uh, point of view, I know that uh, Jensen Button was saying recently that that uh, from, from a Formula One point of view, they need uh, somebody better or a little bit 
bit more aggressive than uh, or somebody that's going to push Lewis a little bit more than than Valtteri. But I mean, from a Mercedes point of view, they've really got uh, everything that uh, that that they need. But I mean, Carlos uh, really uh, brings up a, a good point. And the only guy that I mean, he's not a current guy that was uh, or, or driver would have been uh, Nico Rosberg. And I'm not, and I've said this before that I think that Nico was a good driver. He could beat Lewis on his day but not consistently. I mean, like, I mean, and, and Bottas is the same way. I mean, he goes good in Australia. He drives good in Russia and certain places like that. He's going to win a couple of races every year, but over the course of an entire season, Lewis is just too good. He's too fast. And uh, we, we can see the difference. And, and, and the, the thing is between the difference between Rosberg and, and, and Bottas is just that gap between themselves and Hamilton is just that much bigger. I mean, you look at, at, at and Turkey was the perfect example uh, two weeks ago. Horrible conditions weather-wise on on a greasy, freshly paced uh, or paved track. And you look at Lewis, played it smart, made one uh, tire change, brought it home to win a race that honestly, where he qualified, he had no real business winning that race when you think about it. Where did he qualify? Fifth, sixth, something like that? So under normal kind of circumstances, you would not expect uh, somebody from that position to win, but he kept it clean in the opening corner. He played it, uh, you know, played it smart. But then you just look at the problems. Uh, Bottas spun off the track, what, half a dozen times, seven times or something like that, got lapped. And this is a guy, and I know that uh, there there was some talk afterwards that there was damage on the car, but still, I mean, the... the, the even if there was damage on the car, was the, the 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 gap that big between them? I mean, it was just. I think it was exaggerated, obviously, because of the conditions and the damage that uh, that Bottas had on his own car. But uh, it really kind of brought brought it home in stark reality the the, the difference between the, the the two drivers. But certainly. I don't disagree with a, a single thing that uh, Carla Sainz uh, had to say. Anyways, we're just going to take a quick break here on the Overtime Media Network. Uh, we'll just uh, have a quick word from our sponsors. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Well, welcome back to the show and welcome back to our viewer on YouTube. So this is a little bit of an experiment. So we're, we're, we're talking, we're recording the video on this for the first time ever. So if we make reference to the video or like we're holding things up to the monitor, this should get posted to YouTube, to our YouTube channel, which um, has been neglected for a while. But there's also a very good chance that this is going to be a, a fail of epic proportions. <laughs> so <laughs> so, so the, we do have good intentions to post the video of this uh, show, but... Uh, uh, there, there's no guarantees that that's the way that it's uh, going to to end up. But to, just before we uh, move on to some of the, uh, the the current stories in Formula One this week, Mark, I just wanted to circle back. Uh, you, you touched on something just in the first segment there that I thought was really interesting, just about you know the way that uh, that Formula One and Liberty were able to cobble together this uh, this, this season. But there's one thing that uh, 
kind of snuck in a little bit under the radar. I mean, it made the news at the time, but I don't, at least from my perspective, maybe it's just because of all the other things that have been going on, what with COVID and everything else has been going on in the world this year and specifically over the past several months. But not only did we have this season thrown together when it looked like it was going to be a complete wash after, you know, we literally had bums in the seats in in Melbourne, but not only that, we got a new Concord agreement, we got this cost cap put into place and all these different things you know, that, that that were done on on the back end on the business side of formula one and i know i've mentioned this on the show over the years and i, I come from yeah i i just maybe i'm just sort of stuck in uh, times gone by but i i'm always when, when it gets to this point of like the, the discussions for these sorts of things in Formula One, I always have to go back to the past, you know, specifically more, I guess, when uh, there was still more of old man Ferrari's mark on uh, on the team, even after he passed away. But it was always like the default thing or stance from Ferrari that uh, that like it was almost like, no, we're going to break away. We're going to set up our own uh, series or we're just going to pull out a Formula One and that sort of thing. And, and that, uh, you know, I, I, that's why I find this whole situation, not just with the, you know, the getting this this whole deal done to get the season saved and going but the fact that uh, that they got the concord gr- agreement done and there wasn't too much drama about it they did manage to get this uh, this, this this cost cap into place that uh, you know this is going to scale down by a you know a couple of uh, you know it's got a couple of increments over the next couple of years and the thing is that there was really very little drama at least publicly uh, in in accomplishing these things and it, uh, d- despite all the other things and the, the, despite all the massive loss in revenue, especially through the first quarters of the year, because, you know, there weren't races. I mean, the factories were locked down. People were working from home. They still managed to get these things done. And we're already looking into next year. You know, we're going to have, you know, we're, we're, I mean, we we're going to have, what, what we were supposed to be at this year? Was it 23 races now? I've yeah, completely forgot. And that's why I think it's it's very interesting where the sport is positioned now at the at the end of 2020 compared to six months ago in the in, in the spring and then all this talk about uh, you know, going to to 24 25 races, which of course is going to be a huge logistical challenge for 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 the teams and and for the drivers and everything like that. I mean, it's, it's great for people like us that that they get up on a Sunday morning or a Sunday afternoon wherever the race is, or you know if you watch it again you know uh, on demand later on i mean it, it's it really is great to think oh we're, we're gonna have like basically half the weekends in our year <laughs> sorted out because we know we've got formula one going from march to uh november or december or however that uh, that that works out so that's uh, really ex- exciting to, uh, to to think that that's uh, right around the corner but uh, you know it's it will put a strain on um, uh, on people, of course, and it will be. I mean, Total Wolf has even just been saying this week that more of these triple headers next year is really going to have a, what he calls a human cost. And uh, you know, it's interesting. I always find that some of the the, the quotes that Toto has to say, I find them very insightful. I mean, maybe that's uh, I put more weight on it just because he's Total Wolf. He's team principal of the uh, uber successful Mercedes. Team. Anyway, so he had to say the following, quote, I think the teams are the beneficiaries of growing revenue and income. In that respect, we all need to support for the business to grow. On the other side of a couple triple headers will take a toll on the people. I think there is an Asian triple header that will mean we are more than three weeks away from home. And that is certainly not something that is great. You must not forget that the hardest working people are the ones that set up the garages and take them down and the mechanics that will have overnighters if something goes wrong. You need to question how long that is sustainable and whether you implement a different system by having a second crew that can take over these toughest roles. And this is something we are looking at at the moment, end quote. So, you know, I, I think that uh, there's obviously uh, that, that's what really sort of stood out to me because I was thinking, OK, well, obviously, this is a huge logistical uh, undertaking. Of course, there's going to be added stress and pressure to get these done. And that's uh, that, that's why I was thinking myself. And that's why it stood out uh, when, when he said he thought about, uh, you know, um, implementing or having a second crew or more people uh, being able to do that and that's why I, I think it's it, it's interesting because you know we, we have this cost cap coming in I keep wondering how is this going to work out and uh, especially uh, you know because we all know that they have this this set number but you know there's there's an asterisk there's a star beside that because not everything's going to fall underneath the, the, the this cost cap so it'll be interesting once it uh, gets implemented next year 
you know, what are, where are the loopholes? And especially when it comes to things like uh, team personnel and, and, and all these uh, associated costs uh, to, to go racing basically half the weekends out of the year. You know, I, I think this is a, a great topic and, and it's something that I've really watched feverishly for the past couple of years. And it, I think we really need to flash back to 2016, 2017, when the process of liberty, assuming ownership and really stewardship of Formula One got underway. I, at the end of the day, liberty didn't buy the sport because they thought it was already operating at an optimal level economically. They they saw that it had huge huge upside from a, a financial perspective they they mm-hmm. bought the sport to maximize revenues and to maximize profitability and and i, I don't want to sound too cliche here at the end of the day they bought it for one of two reasons one because they wanted to have and enjoy the ongoing revenue stream associated with formula one or two they bought it because they thought they could get it into a position where they could flip it again and see a return on what their initial investment was and at this point you you know we've seen speculation both ways that hey look liberty they're in this for the long term or hey you know what they're in this for the short term and they simply want to get Formula One into a position where they can flip it for a multi-billion dollar profit. Either way, they need to find ways to increase revenue streams. They've done this a couple of one ways. And we've talked about this before, right? Like under Bernie, Formula One had minimal digital presence. Their digital <laughs> streaming experiences were non-existent to, to garbage. They had no presence on Twitter or Instagram. So all, all the credit in the world to Liberty because they simply recognize that, hey, people consume sports in different ways and they consume them through social media and they consume them through digital streaming platforms. So kudos to them for making all that happen. That, that was a no-brainer. The other thing for them too was from a TV income perspective, and I think we have to understand as well that Formula One really generates revenue in a couple of ways. They generate revenue with the hosting fees that um, organizers pay to have the privilege of having a race in their city or their country. And they also generate revenue from their TV deals. And it's generally understood at this point that economically, there isn't a lot more to be gained from television um, globally outside of the United States. And I think Formula One still thinks, hey, there's still some upside. One of the main reasons they want to get more races into the US is because if you have more races, you create more exposure and you increase the value of that potential TV deal. But outside of that globally, there, there isn't a lot of room left. So for Formula One, if I want to increase revenues, I can do it by adding races to the calendar. You know what? I add a race here, I pick up $30 million. I add a race here, I add $50 million. But ultimately, I don't have a lot of sympathy for the teams because if they were concerned about a 23 or a 24 or a 25 race calendar, they had an opportunity to talk about this. And that was the most recent Concord agreement. And I think ultimately right now for the teams as well, they're in a really financially, especially teams like Williams and teams like Alfa Romeo and teams like Haas, like they're not in a position where they can turn down that revenue because it's going to be difficult on their teams to have triple headers in Asia, right? Like Mm -hmm. they're in a position where they need to see some quick upside. And if that quick upside comes in a couple years of 25 calendar or 25 race calendars, they've got to do it. Like they had their opportunity to object with the Concord agreement. They didn't do so. And I think now more than ever, the sport and some of these smaller teams need this enhanced calendar because they need to be able to cash in on the prize money that's associated with that at the end of the season. So for me, you know, as a fan, like on the one hand, it's kind of exciting. But on the other hand, too, like I kind of enjoy it just as a spectator having that week break. And then I can really get excited about this coming weekend where you know what we're gonna have practice on friday we've got qualifying saturday and we've got a race on sunday and you can build a weekend around it having formula one even as the biggest fan in the world having formula one on 25 race weekends throughout a calendar year is going to be pretty challenging and that said from a team perspective yeah it's going to be tough on your engineers it's going to be tough on your mechanics and it's going to be tough on the factories but ultimately that and i hate to sound this way but that's kind of a you problem hire more people yeah you know what I set up, you know, if you're going to have six races in Asia, set up a satellite office in Asia. And you know what? There's things that they can do and the current infrastructure won't work. I get it. Build new infrastructure. And I think that's ultimately what they're going to have to do. You know, it, it, it really hit on a couple of points there that uh, that I find interesting. I mean, especially when you say, like, from a fan's point of view, selfishly, I'm like, yes, 25 races a year, 24, whatever it's going to be. But on the other side, you know, when you hear, like, a concern from, you know, like, Total Wolf, or you were saying, like, maybe some of these others, say the smaller teams, like your Williamses, your Haases, Alfa Romeos, teams like that. But at the same time, I'm thinking, well, Formula One is not meant to be easy. 
you know, a- any aspect of it, the design part, the, the, the challenges that they face with uh, technical problems that the drivers face on the, cha- the, the, the track. So just uh, it sort of ups the ante. And I, I think that that's part of a uh, Formula One. So it is interesting. And, and maybe too. one other thought, too, just on that as well, because you, you just made a great point that resonated with me. Ultimately, like if we're moving towards an era with a cost cap and simplified cars and simplified components and more shared componentry within the cars, this is probably the time that you would be able to afford a richer, deeper calendar, right? Because the cars in theory are simpler and they require less engineering and they require less simulator time. Like it's not like you're adding races to the existing uh, formula, you're adding races to a calendar that will potentially have a simplified formula. So maybe the two go hand in hand, and maybe that was one of the long-term visions that Liberty and the teams had uh, right from the get-go. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. It was just a, a thought that kind of stuck with me. Well, no, and actually that uh, leads uh, nicely into something else I wanted to talk about. Uh, you know, going back to my favorite uh, Austrian team principal, uh, Total Wolf, says that uh, he feels that uh, Formula One should would be wise not to repeat what he calls the same mistakes when it comes to the new engine rules, which are going to expire in 2026. I mean, these V6 turbo hybrid engines, I mean, they are absolutely fantastic and amazing pieces of technology. But they're also the the, the money that uh, that it costs to development. And that's why Honda was in such uh, at such a disadvantage when they came back to F1 in 2015 with the McLaren was that they came to the game late, whereas your Renaults, your Ferraris, your Mercedes, they had been preparing for this uh, new formula for 2014 for several years beforehand. And Honda, you know, yeah, coming back, so and it, they were really at uh, such a, a disadvantage because there was just so much of, uh, you know, so much that they needed to do to develop this uh, technology for themselves. And it just wasn't uh, as easy or as quick to, say, do it with a, a normal uh, internal combustion engine, right? And so, I mean, it is interesting now that, uh, you know, that uh, where they're going and how this is going to go. And they're talking about, you know, that uh, finding this, that what, what uh, you know, is basically going to come down to a balance between, you know, the turbo hybrid and the, the internal combustion power and then all these sustainable fuels and things like that. So this, I mean, there are several years before this really... Um, you know, has to get uh, written in stone. But I think that this is one of these moments right now. If they want to attract new companies into the sport, say like your Fords, your Porsches, you know, other, other manufacturers, that this is this uh, th- this opportunity, that th- this is the moment in time right now to make Formula One more uh, m- more attractive to come in, uh, you know, for, for companies like that or whoever to come into the sport. So this is something we're really going to have to take a, a, a look at. I mean, I think ultimately, at some point, I, I think electrification will just be where everybody's going to end up at some point. But, um, you know, and, and as much as I've tried to, like, uh, enjoy Formula E, it just isn't there. And I know that it improves all the time, you know, with the batteries and things like that. But, I mean, Formula One, I still think you're going to need to to keep Formula One what Formula One is. At this point, I, I still think that um, that the, this hybrid power seems the way to, to go, at least for the, I guess, for the short to medium term. Yeah. You know, one of the questions I get quite often is why don't more manufacturers get involved in the engine game? And it's specifically the reason that you just stated the current engine formula is immensely complex and it's not an IP. It's not a blueprint that you can pick up and start producing, right? Like to your point, it took Honda three, four, five years to be competitive once they re-entered the sport. And in hindsight, I'm still shocked they did knowing what the learning curve was going to be with that, that, that engine formula. But you're right. Like if you want to, I shouldn't even say attract, but if you want to keep your existing engine suppliers, you you need to, as a long-term strategy, simplify the engine formula. And I love the V6 turbo hybrids. I love, love, love them. I I actually really enjoy the sounds. They don't have quite the echo. They they don't have the presence. You you don't feel them in your spine when you're at a race in the same way that you would have with the V8s or the V10s or the V12s of years prior. But I really love the technical aspects of that formula, and I love the thermal efficiency. Those are things that get me excited. But I guarantee you for 90% of the Formula One fans that show up on a a race weekend, they're there because they're just going to cheer on a team they like or a driver they like. They don't really care what's under the hood. So 
I, I think one of the strategies for Formula One, to your point, is in the next four or five years, but really the next two years, because they need to start developing the new formula and starting to get the engines onto the test bench four years out, is they really need to determine what the next step is. And they need to be able to develop an engine that's sustainable, affordable, but also a formula that attracts and retains existing suppliers. Like, you can't afford to lose a Honda. Like, that that's a blow to the Big sport, blow. to be yeah. totally honest. And, and I'll be honest, you know, if I'm... Uh, on the board of directors at Honda, I would have tapped out as well. Like, I don't know what my return is here. I'm not selling more cars because I'm winning the occasional F1 race partnered with with Red Bull. You know what I mean? And if, if I'm Renault, I'm not selling any more cars because I've got a team in the midfield, right? Like, mm-hmm. you need to be able to create a formula that's attractive to these teams because ultimately, I don't necessarily believe that Formula One championships help sell cars i think it's a nice to have um, but i don't think for these traditional manufacturers like the toyotas and the hondas and things like that i think that's a tough sell to their boards but i think if you can make if you can create a more affordable model and a more efficient sustainable formula then you can get them on board like hey it's a nice for us to have and it's affordable and we can predict costs that's cool i'm on board if i can't predict costs and i can't predict what the formula is and it's going to cost us a fortune and it's going to take us five years to become competitive i want no part of that yeah so I, I think that's probably the next step for formula one and to your point too the next engine formula probably won't be purely electric um and like you i really struggle to watch formula formula e i've tried so many times i just i i can't i can't get into it but i, I think it'll be a step closer to electrification but i have nothing but praise for the current engine and formula i just think in a sense it's a hindrance on the sport simply because it's difficult to build and it's impossible to attract new suppliers all right. Well, I don't disagree any uh, with anything that you said, and I've also just picked up that you're definitely not a win on Sunday, sell on a Monday type of guy. And we'll talk about <laughs> this and uh, all the latest news on the other side of the break here on the Overtime Media Network. So please don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. All right. Well, welcome back to the show, and here we go. Uh, we've got still got a uh, plenty of things uh, to talk about. And well, just to, to to stick with the you know the the change in formula, Max Verstappen uh, says that, or he's dis- dismissed uh, suggestions basically that the new regs coming in in 2022 are basically uh, being put there to stop Mercedes dominating uh, Formula One. And uh, Max is, uh, well, Max is pretty blunt and uh, he likes to say uh, what's uh, basically on his mind. And uh, he says that the new uh, regs uh, basically need to make the racing more exciting. And I, I don't disagree with that at all. And, you know, the everything, the, the wind tunnel data and all these designs, it's all great on paper, but... Uh, we really won't know whether or not the the theory is going to become reality for another year and a, and a bit. I mean, all these things can be well intentioned to, to to try and close up the gap and and try and as much as DRS seems to be a, a good tool to have, it still is a bit of a, an artificial uh, aid to help uh, overtaking. Absolutely, absolutely. But it, you know, like I say, I mean, the, the the proof will be you know once we get to twenty twenty two, and I think. Um, I know uh, just uh, it, that's been one of many frustrating things of, of 2020 and the fact that, uh, you know, they had to delay. I mean, it was going to be a, it was going to be a tight push to get the, these new cars on the track for 2021 as it was, you know, even without, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, you know, the interruption of COVID. I mean, how's that, how's that for an understatement? <laughs> but so it really is, it is fascinating. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think Max is really on the money there. I mean, uh, it's one thing, I mean, and, and we've seen different things over time, like rules and other sports and other things to try and, and, and interrupt somebody's uh, dominance of the sport and artificial uh, measures like that just don't work. I mean, I, I think that if they make the racing more exciting, it closes up the gaps between the t- cars and, and and eliminates that uh, the the dirty air between them. Then I think that's uh, what what we can hope for. But uh, w- what are your thoughts on, uh, on on Max? I think that's a great point, right? Like, I, I think for people that focus their kind of their time and their energy on Formula One exclusively, you forget the fact that competitive imbalance is not uncommon to other sports, right? Especially in North America, where you, we have the the NFL and we have Major League Baseball and we have the NBA and we have the NHL. Like those leagues, too, 
curb competitive imbalance have instituted salary caps. So there's these strictly managed salary caps because they want to avoid competitive imbalance and they want to create some parity in the league. And teams naturally find ways around that. And some teams are just smarter than others and some draft better, some develop players better, et cetera. Um, So competitive imbalance isn't unique to Formula One. And it's not even unique to this era. We've seen it with Ferrari in the past. We've seen it with Williams and we've seen it with with McLaren. I, I think what's unique about this current period of competitive imbalance ultimately is just how sustained it's become. Like we, we've really never seen a run of competitive imbalance that has been so long and, and so dominant. And, you know, we're deep into year seven now and no team is any closer to catching Mercedes than they have been in any other year. In fact, you could argue that they're probably farther apart. So yeah, I, I absolutely agree with with Max's points. And, and obviously he's not the first one that suggested this. I think people have been screaming for this since at least the beginning of 2015, when it was clear that Mercedes was going to want to get it, when it's going to win a second consecutive <laughs> title. But I think the other thing too is I really don't like artif- I love your term artificial measures. Measures like I don't like DRS, and like I, I embrace it because it is what it is, and it, it gives a, a little bit of a, injects a little bit of excitement to the race. But it's hugely artificial, and like I just like what would that look like on the soccer field, right? Like it's like blowing a whistle, and the defense has to stand still for three seconds to give <laughs> the offense of the other team yeah. the opportunity to get into a better position like it's it's garbage when you think about it like that and and hopefully the sport gets to a point where we don't have to have that kind of artificial measures to create a little bit of parity and to create a little bit of of excitement and you know i think we've we all recall the fact that bernie had all kinds of crazy ideas in the past for creating excitement and injecting a little bit more parity in terms of watering the tracks at certain intervals during a race and things like that but ultimately hopefully the sport gets to a point where that's not necessary and to your point as well, like that's not going to be right away, right? It's going to be gradual. And I think we were really excited about 2021 because we were expecting the new, the chassis formula. And that was obviously delayed because the factories were closed down. There was some cost uncertainty associated with the sport. We didn't know what the calendar was going to look like. So that's been pushed off to 2022, which is also why I think 2021 is going to be such a great opportunity for Lewis to pull in another driver's title. But ultimately, I really don't like artificial measures. And I think the sport's failing in a lot of ways if you have to institute that kind of thing to create this artificial sense of parity and to inject some artificial excitement into a race. You know, if if I was a driver and I lost a race on the last lap because somebody had DRS, despite the fact that I was in better position, I would be living. Imagine a championship being decided because somebody got an overtake on DRS on the last lap. Like it's just... We haven't we haven't experienced that, but it could be a reality. And then how how do you tell your fans that that's how the championships decided? So hopefully we get to a period in the sport where we can do away with that type of artificial measure. To your point, yeah, and th- that that's a big reason why I was against this whole idea of like this uh, reverse grid uh, qualifying because we didn't see oh, yeah. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. We didn't see that work a couple of years ago when they had like this rolling cutoff, and I thought, well, you know, like is th- this might be well intentioned, but you know, the thing is that very much like that uh, that rolling cutoff formula that or um, uh, uh, system whatever you want to call it for qualifying that they had that they quickly uh, you know chucked out the window after what two or three races is because guys very quickly figured out you know how to game the system and i figured that'd be the same way too that you know that even though that you have like this reverse grid thing that you know guys would just soon figure out okay well i want to be you know to, if i want to have a, ch- a shot to win this race and i'm going to have to qualify so and so certain parts so, so true. this is so you know, true so won't be going out about like setting the fastest lap it'll be like going out and setting a particular time and of course you yeah. know they 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 can they they can figure that out in their software they go and give it over to the boffins and the nerds and then they can come up with something <laughs> so and, and figure out okay this is what we're expecting this is how what we think it's going to take to to win the race and you know and go from there but also just to going back to like the the the, the cost cap and and all these uh, different things the one thing that uh, that that i you know, I I totally think that it's 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 a good idea, especially going into like this uh, you know this post COVID world that obviously there's going to be a time of uh, economic recovery after the, you know once uh, we we start to get a handle on this thing and things start to go back to normal that it uh, certainly fiscally it makes a lot of uh, sense but also just even without covid just getting the the costs under control just to make it a more attractive sport but the thing is that. 
everybody's going to have the same amount of money to, to, to play with. And it's, it's going to be a question now that you just can't spend your way out of a problem or buy yourself speed, which isn't necessarily a way that you could solve a problem before anyways. I mean, you still have to be able to design it, build it, and, and, and get it right, which is not a slam dunk just because you're going to go throw $500 million at it or something, whatever the, the, the case may be. I mean, what, what I'm really looking forward to is uh, going into this, uh, this cost cap era is the teams that are going to be able to take these numbers and are going to be able to do more with, with, with less, be more flexible, be, you know, uh, show a lot more ingenuity with it. But at the end of the day, a lot of people, if you're an engineer or you're a mechanic or whatever, I mean, people are still going to gravitate towards Ferrari. They're still going to gravitate towards Mercedes because they're the, they're the top dogs. And those are going to be the teams that, uh, that, that have all, like all the glory and the prestige associated with them. That's no knock to the other teams in, in the sport, not by a long shot. But I mean, the point that I'm making is that I still think that they're going to attract the cream of the crop and you know, regardless. Regardless, you know, uh, say you're going to get 100,000 pounds in a salary being an engineer at Mercedes or whatever it is, or 100,000 pounds a year at Alfa Romeo. If you got those two offers on the table, I'm pretty sure I know which one I'm going to be uh, accepting first, right? You know, and, and, and like I say, that's no knock against uh, anybody else, but, you know, that's, that's just reality. Yeah. I think it's interesting to note as well that when you, you look at the geographical placement of these teams, obviously you hear that term um, power alley or power valley in the UK where you have this corridor where seven of the 10 Formula One teams are based. Yes. Y- you do see a little bit of that today where um, you, you see constant recruiting and constant purging of talent from one team to another. The, the one thing that I, I think is worth considering too is we talk about how beneficial the cost cap is going to be for some of these middle of the pack teams simply because, hey, you know what? I can only afford to spend X amount and now the cap is effectively going to be at parity with what I can spend. That's great. But I think one of the things that hasn't been reported enough is that when it comes to Ferrari, Red Bull and Mercedes, those teams are probably going to have to see fairly significant staffing reductions to get close to that cap, right? And I, I think... If, if I'm a smaller team like a Williams or a Alfa Romeo, I keep wanting to call them Sauber, but if I'm one of these smaller teams or even a racing point, like there's some huge opportunity for me to now recruit from these, from these folks that are part of a championship pedigree, right? Like it's pretty clear that that Mercedes may have to cut several hundred jobs to get in line with the new cost cap. But if I'm one of these other British based teams, like this is, this is a windfall for me because, Hey, look, I now have the ability or I have the upside to spend that money, but there's this immense championship pedigree on the job market that I can now recruit and bring into my factory. So I I think the dispersal of talent and people capital amongst the teams is also an unintended side effect or benefit to some of the smaller teams and something that hasn't been reported heavily enough. But I think it'll be very interesting to see how that ultimately plays out. And I'm not necessarily saying, hey, Total Wolf's going to leave uh, Mercedes because they're not going to pay him. Well, they're probably going to pay Total Wolf, but they're probably not going to pay the same number of engineers and mechanics simply because they can't fit them under the new cost cap. And the other thing to consider too is one of the specific specific exclusions from the cost cap is driver salary. So I I think teams will manage that very, very differently, but it will be very, very curious to see what type of criticism there is of certain types of drivers in this new world. It's always been very easy to criticize Michael Schumacher and to criticize Lewis Hamilton because they have the best car, but if they continue to be the best team simply because organizationally they're more sound and they have better processes and protocols and systems and and things like that, I, I wonder if that level of criticism can continue. And I'm rambling at this point, but I think all of the points that you brought up are just really, really exciting. And it gets me amped up for 2021, but more so for 2022, because I can't wait to see how that plays out. Yeah, I certainly have a couple of thoughts on that, and I'll weigh in uh, just uh, in a moment here after we take our final break here on the Overtime Media Network, so don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. All right, well, welcome back to the show. We're here talking Formula One as we do uh, every week, and we're talking about uh, salary caps and cost caps, and, uh, oh, that's uh, definitely... uh, (laughs) that. That I, I don't have one of those to show off on the camera here. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, we were talking just, uh, you, you raised a couple of good points there. And uh, the, the, this driver salary cap uh, was something that was brought up, um, you know, in 
I guess it was, when did that come up? About a month, six weeks ago. Yeah. I think that's when it yeah, first came on the weeks. radar. And I think it's very, you know, fascinating. Let's just put it out there that say they get, uh, let's just throw out a sum of, uh, say, $25 million or 25 million euros, pounds, whatever it is. I think that, um, especially for the bigger teams, I think that, uh, you know, we, that might put an end to what we might see with a, um, you know, I think it'd be there'd be more demarcation between your number one driver and your number two. I don't think Absolutely. we would see any Absolutely. of these sort of like your your Prosts and Senna's, and maybe to a lesser extent your your Hamiltons and your Rosbergs. There would be a very, uh, I would say, a, a very distinct uh, d- you know divide between your number one and your number two. You know, I, I'm thinking very much like a Max Verstappen and uh, and an uh, and an Alex Albon. You know, I mean, there, there's totally. a distinct uh, d- divide uh, between those two. But I just wanted to actually backpedal a little bit uh, too, because uh, you were just uh, mentioning a little bit about uh, you know, um, you know, you just hinted and, and mentioned uh, Ferrari. But Mattia Bonato, the team principal at uh, Ferrari, was uh, just saying recently that uh, what he says their recent upswing in form is actually encouraging for 2021. Now. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think so, but um, it is encouraging from their point of view that they seem to have stopped that, uh, or even maybe reversed the slide, the plummet, the dive into the abyss that uh, they <laughs> went into uh, this year. But, uh, you know, it, it's interesting because uh, Mattia had to say, quote, it's obviously very important for Ferrari doing well at the moment. We know that we've improved the car, and if you look at the last races, we have improved our position in the race. I think the car has become more consistent and the car has become a bit faster. So it's great at least to have those results because I think it's great for next year. It's great looking ahead as well to the next races. I think that in well, as well in terms of constructor positions, it's not the end of the championship. So it's encouraging, end quote. So a couple of things there. Uh, yeah, they have turned it around, but still, I mean, they're still fighting with te- well, I mean, Let's take Turkey out of the mix because that was an exception. And I mean, they did very well. I mean, I'm not going to take away a P3 and a P4 and, you know, they, they could have even had an opportunity for two cars on the podium there. If that, uh, that race ran a couple of laps longer, the way that Sergio was really struggling with the tires. But the problem is, is that they are still miles behind. I mean, I, I expect that maybe that going into 2021 with the cars, more or less what we've had uh, this year, just, you know, we're going to have some developments going into next year. I think that uh, that they're still going to be at a disadvantage, obviously, to Mercedes. They might close the gap a little bit to, to, to Red Bull, but I... I just struggle to 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 reconcile that uh, that uh, that they're going to even though that they've uh, improved in the last couple of races which they have they're going to need a big quantum leap forward in in the performance of that car to catch Red Bull and to catch a Mercedes and I really expect more of the same next year I think that they're going to be struggling or they'll, they'll be fighting uh, with, with your McLarens with your Renaults or Alpine uh, you know next year and that that's certainly not not a knock against those teams I think actually that the, the challenge for Ferrari is to keep up with Renault and uh, and McLaren I mean these are two teams McLaren has obviously done quite a bit in the past couple of years after you know the you know Zach Brown has brought in a bunch of really good people to run that team uh Renault they've kind of plateaued but they've shown some good things uh, this year you know they've started to get back on track so as much as Ferrari wants to be back up there and and, and on the podium and winning races and championships I'm I struggle to see that uh, that that happening next year. I'm actually struggling to see that in 2022, and that's why I think they have a lot riding on what's uh, you know not. I mean, if they can do well next year, I think that's obviously going to be welcome and a bonus. But I think there's a lot riding on their car for 2022. I think that uh, that is going to be. It's obviously not going to be make or break, but uh, there there's a huge amount uh, riding on it for them. Yeah, they've got a couple of work streams they've got to be concerned with, right? Obviously, and I don't know when we can stop talking about this, but I, I'm still, I'm still very frustrated with the secretive agreement between the FIA and yes. Ferrari last year regarding yep. some engine abnormalities um, that ultimately put them in this hole, right? Like this isn't something that happened. Well, it did happen overnight because ultimately, I believe they were caught cheating, and the FIA, FIA was very, very generous in terms of an outcome, and they didn't necessarily publicize what the findings were. But Ferrari obviously reverted a lot of the work that they'd done on that power unit in the years that 
kind of led up to that exact moment. And and I think we all recall just how hyper-competitive Ferrari was in the second half of last season. Yes. Their, their qualifying performances were phenomenal. They took six consecutive polls. Like they, they looked unstoppable. And I think the question at that point was really, you know what, can we create a better handling car and can we improve our aerodynamics mm-hmm. so that we can have the complete package? Because that was the one place where they weren't as good as Mercedes. They weren't as flat in the corners and they couldn't pick up as much speed going through them. They ultimately made it up on the straights, but Ultimately, um, as a result of the FIA findings, they were forced to revert their power unit to something that was really just a shadow of what they were running last year. And I, I think part of this is they now need to be able to rebuild that power unit in a way that's fully compliant with the formula, which isn't easy. Um, and it's also incredibly difficult to do during a pandemic as well. And obviously, Italy was ravaged like probably, I shouldn't say like, but was ravaged as badly as any other country in Europe during the early spring and the late winter. So from a factory perspective, they were behind. um, And they were behind because they were already in a position where they had to do significant work to catch up to the rest of the field. And then that was hampered by the inability to get the the engineers into the factories. Um, But ultimately, they've got a couple of work streams too, right? Because the other big change that's going to happen next year is they're going to have a driver change. And Carlos Sainz is going to join the team. And, and I think I think that's due. I, I think um, as much as Sebastian Vettel is a professional, I think it's challenging to have a lame duck driver. And I mean that in the most professional, polite sense possible. I just, I think it's difficult for the team to be invested in improving his form and working mm-hmm. with him on improving the car when you know he's not going to be there next year. So the team's already got an eye towards next year when they're going to integrate a new driver into the Ferrari program. But to your point, they they are also got an eye towards 2022 because they're going to be marrying the existing power unit or some slight variation of it to a fundamentally new car. So they've got a lot of work and they've got a couple of parallel work streams that they need to be doing to get ready for 2022. So I think to your point, if I'm Ferrari, obviously, if we're more competitive next year and we can p- continue to pick up a couple of podiums and we can continue to give Charles a, a relatively competitive car, that's a good thing. But if I'm Ferrari, and I have money to invest, I'm going all in on 2022. Like, yeah, you let's have not to. overinvest yeah. in, yeah, exactly. Let's not overinvest in 2021. But this is what also makes 2021 so remarkable for Mercedes. And I don't mean to keep going back to Mercedes, but we know fundamentally that short of a miracle, Ferrari's not going to compete for a driver's championship next year. And we also know that the only other team that conceivably could is Red Bull, but they are also in a marriage with an engine supplier who's going to be tapping out of the sport at the end of next year. So everything is turning up Mercedes in terms of winning another title next year. And I I think that's another reason why Hamilton will be back. But yeah, Ferrari's in this really unique position and it's all of their own making. So let's not, let's not Mm -hmm. be too sympathetic to their cause. (laughs) They created this situation. Well, absolutely too. And I I think another interesting thing is too, it's just not only did we see Ferrari drop back through the field, but look at how the... Uh, the, the struggles of all other Ferrari power teams like Haas and Alfa Romeo oh, see how they've struggled absolutely. as well, you know. And and so that just goes to show you just that, I mean, I don't think that the chassis itself, the car itself is great, but I mean, it, it's definitely, they're, they're, they're struggling with, with two problems. A car that isn't as necessarily as good as the, yeah. uh, the, the cars that they're competing, the teams they're competing against, and they have a, uh, you know, a significantly weaker rubber band in the back of their car compared to their, <laughs> their competitors. Absolutely. I couldn't agree well. more. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Uh, just uh, before we, uh, we, we wrap it up, uh, Mark, uh, we've got a very fascinating race coming up uh, th- this weekend at the Outer Circuit at Bahrain. And this is one of these uh, situations that uh, like we've seen so many times this year that, uh, I mean, obviously we're going to predict that, uh, that the guy that's going to be on the top step is in a, in a black Mercedes. Uh, I mean, that just uh, seems to, to be obvious, uh, or, or maybe not obvious, but the logical uh, conclusion. But it's going to be um, something uh, fun to watch. Uh, and, uh, you know, George Russell believes that, uh, that the, the high-speed Outer Circuit it will be bonkers in his own words in an F1 car. I love it. I love and it. It's 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 going to be good because and 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 that's a one thing that uh, despite all the turmoil, despite all the the uh the uncertainty and then some of the familiarity that we've had this year with the you know the, the multiple races at same tracks is is just that uh the, these unexpected things, like, I mean, Mugello was good, Portimao was good, Turkey was good. I mean, you, you know, even though that, uh, you know, the, the slippery circumstances, it just, 
it threw a wrench into the works and and that's what made it interesting and uh, i'm really looking forward to see what's uh, what's going to happen at uh, bahrain this weekend and i like the, the, the this is what i like too is that they have the opportunity to configure the track uh, differently for for back to back weekends, and uh, obviously you, you don't really have that uh, that that same option at the Red Bull Ring. You don't really have well, you have that option at Silverstone, but not to the same effect. You yeah. know, to to, to yeah. race on the national circuit or whatever it is. So this is going to be really really cool to, to to watch. I can't wait. Yeah, and and I here's the thing. I, I think from a Formula One perspective, um, I, I hate to say it, but I kind of feel like you're. Your hardcore, your committed, and your casual fans have probably have they've tapped out on the seasons. Let, let's call it duck a duck. The championship has been decided, yeah. and I think if you look at what's happening in Europe, which is really the heartland of the fan base for Formula One, there's a lot going on there. Obviously, the COVID situation is not in a good position. A lot of these countries are in lockdown. I I don't think there's a lot of eyes on the sport, but I, I think if you are going to tune in over the next couple of weeks, I think you're going to see some pretty exciting stuff, right? Um, Bahrain, which usually is at the front of the calendar, it's usually in March when the temperatures are much, much cooler. It's usually about 24 degrees as an average during the day in Bahrain. Um, They're hosting the race in November in the first week of December, and the temperatures are quite a bit warmer, probably closer to 30 degrees. And and unlike a lot of casual fans, like I actually really love the track in Bahrain, and it's it's obviously a, a course and the fact that they've had a race there since 2004 has always been fairly controversial but i love the backdrop i love racing in the desert i love Mm -hmm. the night race i love the lights twinkling in the palm trees to me it's a really compelling track and i think it's really exciting so this coming weekend we're going to see obviously a a race in bahrain the first of a double header Um, they will use the conventional configuration this weekend but to your point what's going to be really exciting is the race on december 6th when they're basically going to lop off the infield portion of the track and basically basically run a sub one minute oval. And I, I think, and you know, you were sharing an article with me earlier today, and, and I was shocked to see this, but this is possibly going to be the first time since the early seventies that we're going to see lap times on an F1 circuit that are sub 60 seconds. It's going to be crazy. And it's, and I don't know how many of, of the listeners are familiar with Indy, but Indy, which is predominantly the American open wheel racing series, they race on a lot of NASCAR tracks. So they see a lot of oval action. Um, some interesting stuff can happen over the course of 90 minutes on a predominantly oval track. And this is one of those things that's going to be a real highlight of the season. You know, to your earlier point, we got to see Portimao and we got to see a couple of tracks in Italy that we don't historically see on the calendar. We got to go back to the Nürburgring. Like this is going to be really, really exciting. So this weekend, conventional race at Bahrain, the championships decided, but the second race is going to be really cool. And I can't wait to see what that looks like. And I can't wait to see what it's going to look like in qualifying as well, because the other consideration here too is these drivers aren't conditioned to drive these cars on an oval configuration. Like this is going to be new to them as well. It's going to be new to us as a viewer, but it's going to be new to them. And I, I can't wait to see what this is going to look like. So I know the championship is decided, but for our viewers, like there's still a lot to get excited about over the course of the next couple of weeks. Oh, absolutely. And it's going to be fun to watch, uh, like you say. And, uh, you know, it. I was just trying to think, uh, you know, because you were just saying you're, you're uh, saying uh, that we're going to see sub one minute lap times uh, on the on the shorter uh, outer track there in Bahrain. But I was just trying to think, what would be the the, the next shortest lap? Would it be the Red Bull Ring? Because they run about a one minute eleven or one minute yep. twelve. You know, it, I mean, it, it's a funny track in that way that uh, that it seems a lot longer than it actually is. But uh, I guess it has to do with the the the, the terrain and the fact that uh, you the know, elevation for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, for for sure. I mean, it it, it seems a lot longer. But uh, you know, I guess that's uh, kind of fun. You know, when you actually get to sit down and play like uh, you know the, like the, the the Formula One video game, where you get to see yeah. some of these tracks and then you see like how quickly it is that uh it's like oh gosh well he's not really closing them up or closing the gap to it but when you actually get to to, to simulate that i mean you know in, in the uh, yeah. the reality of a of a video game is uh, not quite the same but still it kind of gives you a, an appreciation of how long say like spa or baku city or short yeah. like monaco or uh, the, the the red bull ring but you know the, again like we were just saying that it, it's a completely new situation it's a completely 
completely new, well, it's not a completely new track, but the new configuration. And that has been one of the silver linings to, to the season in, in such a bizarre and strange year. And, uh, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, I think that's, uh, you know, the, the, the takeaways, the things that I'm going to try and remember positively from 2020, especially from Formula One, is some of these high points, some, some of these memorable things, it's the, the, the records that we've seen, uh, Lewis break, the, you know, the, 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 the opportunities that we've had to go racing in places that we haven't had. I mean, the fact that we had a season at all, that's all yep. been uh, good stuff. So anyways, before we wrap it up here, I, I'm just going to hold this up uh, on the camera for, for people who are watching on uh, the, the YouTube. This was uh, the you know, Kimmy's Book of Haiku, The Win Now Your Words. This was like a special edition thing that came out a couple of years ago. I think it was about two years ago. My wife managed to get a copy, and it's, uh, it's really quite uh, good. But, um, you know, I guess Kimmy doesn't exactly speak in haiku, but uh, the way that uh, he's a man of few words, that's why I think that uh, this book is uh, so good. It's written as uh, Kimmy would probably write a haiku. But uh, I've I've got one here. It's called uh, Asphalt. Here, I'll just uh, hold, hold it up again just to to the camera. But uh, for those of you listening on the podcast rather than watching on YouTube, I'll read it out. So the haiku is called Asphalt. I prefer it like it used to be. You make a mistake, you pay a price. There you go. Short and to the point, just like uh, Kimi Raikkonen uh, himself. But anyways, that's uh, that's it. That's uh, all we got uh, for this week. Uh, again, uh, very excited to, to have my partner, uh, no new partner here moving forward. This is going to be uh, going to be good, and uh, hopefully, like m- my big concern right now is that after I hit stop and save on all these different uh, software platforms I have running at the moment, that this is actually going to save, and they're all going to go to the different places out there in the, in the <laughs> cyber universe that they're supposed to. But you know, if you, you're watching this on your on your phone on YouTube or you're listening to the podcast, then uh, we've done something right. <laughs> I guess at the end of the day, that's uh, that's what it's all about. But uh, Again, before we go, enjoy the race this weekend. And if you want to get in touch, always love the tweets, the emails. Easiest way is on Twitter at ScuderiaF1Pod and email is ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. That's a wrap. We'll be back um, after the race to talk about it then. Enjoy it. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Bye for now.